This week on episode 511 of Priority One, John Delancey continues to drop some Picard Season 2 hints. In gaming, we continue our review of the missions that brought the Klingon Civil War to an end in Star Trek Online. We also introduce a new contributor to the show, Dr. Michael J. Chan, with his analysis of Chain of Command. You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 511 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, June 1st, and available for download or streaming on Friday, June 4th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Roscoe. Kat, it's good to have you back. How was the journey across Vulcan? Uh, it was hot and rainy, although maybe not so Vulcanish. But uh, yeah, moving sucks. Um, I'm glad it's over, but I'm all settled. The dogs love their new house. Uh, so yeah, it's all good. Except I need to decorate some more. So, <laughs> what are you really glad that you threw out? Uh, you know those. Okay, I know everybody has one. You know the box of electronic cords and adapters and things that you have over the years for every piece of <laughs> stereo equipment, any mm-hmm. TV, all of that. I got rid of some digital converters. <laughs> I got rid of like those DSL filters for your phone lines. Um, yeah, all of that stuff. I cleaned out my electronics. So that I felt good about. Fantastic. Well, it's good to have you back. Welcome back to the show. And... Um, yeah, I'm, ha- I'm glad to be back. Thank you, Alex, for filling in for me. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Alex. It was a pleasure having her on to talk about uh, Star Trek and Star Trek Online. But it's good to have you back, Kat. Thanks. And of course, we want to welcome new listeners to the show, and we hope you'll stay in touch as well. You see, this show is produced by a community of volunteers who donate their time and talents because, like you, they're passionate about what Star Trek is all about. So we ask you, our favorite listeners, to get involved and be a part of our podcast community. You can follow us on social media so you can share your thoughts about the weekly headlines and quite possibly have them read aloud on our show, or consider joining joining the team and lending your time and talents to producing this show. Or if you don't have time, perhaps you have some spare change and find value in our podcast. Consider supporting us financially by joining our Patreon family over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. No matter what, our corner of this community is always eager to include more members and share in the passion we all have for Star Trek. So visit us at priorityonepodcast.com and learn about all the ways you can help shape our little corner of the Star Trek multiverse, whether by joining our team, becoming a patron, or by being a part of the conversation by joining our communities, like the ones we have on social media or for games via the Priority One Armada. Now, let's find out what's been happening in the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. 
We've told you that you should keep an eye out for cameo videos recorded by John Delancey. Once again, he might have spilled the beans and potentially spoiled some character appearances in Season 2 of Star Trek Picard. In one cameo, he shares what was scheduled to happen on the next day of filming, saying... Um, I've already been shooting. Um, I've had some wonderful scenes with Patrick. Uh, it was nice. It was nice working with him again. And tomorrow, I, uh, I'm uh, working with, uh, with Brent. So um, that I'm really looking forward to that. So when he says he's working with Brent, does that mean we might see Alton soon? A past version of Data? Remember, Captains, you can join Delancey's Cameo fan club for free and watch the videos he records for fans. Yeah, John Delancey, I'm surprised that somebody hasn't said, hey, Mr. Delancey, you got to be careful what you say to those fans on, on Cameo. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he says he's going to work on a scene with Brent, right? Now, Brent Spiner has repeatedly said time and again, especially and more specifically, even even with season one of Picard, that he has no intention of reprising the role of Data. That he just, it doesn't make sense for him, right? That he ages, but Data doesn't. We cannot grow old together because I will not grow old. However, I keep thinking back to the Star Wars um, prequel, Rogue One, right? When they bring back that one general guy, the old guy. Oh, Grand Moff Tarkin? Yes. And also, if you haven't watched Netflix's uh, Love, Death, and Robots, some of the animation for those little shorts are mind-blowing. It's all CGI, but the humans in the in these little shorts are so realistic. I remember going to see Final Fantasy in the theaters, right? Like the first major CGI film completely. All the actors are CGI, and this is the future of filmmaking. We won't need actors anymore. It's just going to be CGI avatars, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, watch Love, Death, and Robots on, on Netflix because it takes it to an entire new level. It's like Uncanny Valley almost. So uh, I can see them bringing back Data and, you know, bringing him back to life, if they, especially if they go back to the past, right? If Q's doing some timey-wimey nonsense. I think it's all a ruse from Brent. I think he is just playing the Brent Spiner character of the gruff curmudgeon very well and is constantly saying, no, I'm done with Data. I'll never play Data again. And that's the character that he plays, Whereas what we'll see on screen is if the story calls for it. And if it's a good script, then that will get Brent back on screen. And if it's messing around with John Delancey, I think that might just get him over the line. So, yeah, I, I take Brent's protestations with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. Agree. Yeah, I I don't... I mean, you just never know what they, which direction they're going to go. Mike McMahon, the creative force behind Star Trek Lower Decks, has been offering up some interesting tidbits about Season 2 and three while promoting the recent season one release of Lower Decks on Blu-ray. He tells IGN that season two picks up immediately with the fallout after the, spoiler alert, glorious battle of Riker versus Packleds. Red alert! A Packled party and I wasn't invited? Boimler's promotion to the Titan, and it also explores how Mariner, Rutherford, and Tendi are dealing with all of that. Speaking about his overall vision for the four main characters, McMahon says, quote, I know where I want them to end up. Let's watch together how they get there, end quote. McMahon also promises there are more cameo roles coming up, but he also indicated some of these could be deeper cuts from Trek canon, saying, quote, So there are some legacy guest roles in the second season and in the third season as well. 
but I think it's people you're not going to expect when you get them. End quote. Maybe we'll finally get that sweet Roga Daynar cameo. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you that may not remember, Roga Daynar was the the thief, right? Like the that episode. You know what that episode reminds me of? Princess Bride. No, no. Like Princess Bride. Roga, Roga Daynar was like the genetically altered super yeah, I soldier. Yeah, he was that soldier. Yes. Yeah. With the and he outsmarted war. He outsmarted everybody because he could escape from everywhere. He even got out of the force field. Oh, Remember? Oh, was- okay, wrong guy. Wrong guy. I'm not. Th- I'm You're thinking, thinking of, a- of outrageous Akona. Akona. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Yes, yes. Awesome. Also, that'd be a cool cameo to have. <laughs> and that was the gentleman who played Zephyr Cochran was also in that Next Generation episode as well. Oh, yeah, that'll do pig. Oh, James Cameron. No, not James Cameron. James Cromwell. James Cromwell. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> James Cromwell, yep, yep. Cameron, the Avatar guy. Mm-hmm. Never mind. <laughs> well, that leads us to our first community question this week. Which deep cut character would you like to see in the next season of Lower Decks? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question posts on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It could be one of those tapestry type moments where you pull at a thread and a whole different world would appear. In terms of enjoying Star Trek on the small screen and with new series in development, one of those threads that has had a big impact was Julie McNamara. For the last 15 years, Ms. McNamara was with CBS and Viacom CBS, with her most recent role as the head of programming for Paramount+. Plus. It was reported this week in Deadline that she is stepping down from the role. In terms of the impact on Star Trek, Ms. McNamara has been overseeing the original content strategy for Viacom CBS's streaming service. Tom Ryan, Viacom CBS president and CEO, streaming, announced the exit saying, quote, Julie's work and strong relationships with creators and talent led the way for our very first originals on CBS All Access, many of which are still top performers for Paramount Plus, including Star Trek Discovery, end quote. During her tenure at CBS All Access, which she joined as Executive Vice President of Original Content in 2016, she shepherded the Star Trek universe, Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, and the upcoming Strange New Worlds. We can only hope that her replacement works as hard to bring new seasons and series of Star Trek to the small screen in the future. So, clearly, McNamara was there to help usher in this new era of Trek. My question, though, is I wonder how involved she has maintained herself to be in its ongoing development. And will her departure impact the future of Star Trek in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't, I am not sure, like, her exact role, but I'm wondering if this is what she's going to do next, uh, because I bet you she's going to land somewhere interesting. Uh, And also what's going on in the background as far as, you know, the direction they're taking, you know, this streaming and new content. So maybe they had a, maybe there was a, difference of opinion who knows reading the rest of the article she was also responsible as well as working on star trek and bringing it back to the small screen she was also responsible for things like the good fight and that's been quite a success for paramount plus now both of those i guess you could say are existing franchises 
in that The Good Fight is a spin-off of The Good Wife and Star Trek is is a spin-off and is an existing franchise before she came became involved. So my thought could be that she will head over to another studio, another production house or company or network and be one of those people who go, okay, what do we have in our stable? What IP do we have right now? And how can we rework that? How can we tell new stories with that existing IP, which seems to be coming to become more and more common? I remember back in February, we might have covered this. Um, she did an interview along with Alex Kurtzman over on The Hollywood Reporter. And I don't know that she was so much involved in any of the creative processes or the creative development, but more so the strategic implementation of all these streaming services and franchises, right? Because she was also, you know, she would she would talk about SpongeBob and, you know, Prodigy, where does Star Trek fit in and, you know, all these other things. So, yeah, I don't know that her departure is going to impact the future of Star Trek with respect to its storytelling. It might impact it with respect to things like crossover events or how people may have access to Star Trek and on what platforms and will something get released on terrestrial television first and then, you know, for the first few episodes and then move behind the paywall. So, yeah, I don't know that this will will see a big impact to Star Trek with her departure. I think we should get Greg Belandi over from the Arrowverse and get him involved as a showrunner somehow in Star Trek so we can have an epic crossover Arrowverse style on the small screen. It'd be amazing. I mean, there's no doubt that the CW has done, ama- you know, we, we talk a lot about Marvel, we talk a lot about Disney and you know, because they seem to be the big elephant in the room. But CW has also done a pretty remarkable job with their universe, expanding on the DC comic universe with their lineup of shows. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we don't always have to be looking to the Kevin Feige's and, you know... And let's be honest, they started with Green Arrow, right? who was not a huge character, so they didn't do it with Batman, they didn't do it with Superman, they didn't do it with Wonder Woman. Started off with Green Arrow, who is a great character, but not right. a one of your big three, and right. built this whole world from that. So Green Arrow was, we can't use Batman, so let's do Green Arrow. <laughs> yeah. We can't have He can't Bruce, throw we ninja can't stars, we'll get him a bow and arrow, it'll be fine. <laughs> But yeah, that that type type of crossover, that would be amazing. So in terms of strategy, I think, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they bring into the role because that will be likely the role that they play, the strategy role and the shepherding of new content, new original content as well. So yeah, I think she's one of those tapestry type people that if you pulled that at that thread, then we'd have a very, very different looking world in terms of the, the Star Trek that is currently on our screen. Well, Captains, now here are a few headlines that we didn't discuss, but thought might interest you. Links to all of these, of course, will be in the show notes. If you've ever wanted to see Bill Shatner get punched in the face, well, now you can. In a new commercial for Copper Gel, Shatner squares up against the one and only Mike Tyson, begging to learn what it's like to be hit by a heavyweight champ. The heavyweight champ. If you're a fan of Doug Drexler's work, you might be interested in reading a short interview featuring the Academy Award-winning special effects artist over on AaronSpaceMagazine.com. In it, he talks about his influences, his favorite Trek, and more. Some exciting news for our sister show, Women at Warp, who just dropped an interview with Gates McFadden to discuss the launch of her podcast, Gates McFadden Investigates. Who do you think you are? Now, remember, Captains, to learn more about these headlines, be sure to review the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. (laughs) 
Congratulations, high score. The day of judgment dawns as four would-be leaders face the slings and arrows of their outrageous doing. Jaula leads the orbital assault of Kronos in the crosshairs of her own mycelial nightmare. Jimpok's dash for the throne turns his servitor races on each other. Regicide is a booming industry in First City, and the player gets in on the ground floor. Laurel races to the Great Hall before the Mad Emperor can use her Hydro Bomb against his people. And Akar probably wishes he got his hands on those personal transporters before the final Batleth comes down. Oh well. A day long remembered ends the Klingon Civil War arc with the Empire under new management and a new face. Or an old face. Cloning is weird. Anyway, Jimpok's career and life ends after Jaula and Lorel make a disarming argument in favor of new leadership. Having made good on her deal with the Feklar, two conniving schemers for the price of one, Jaula hands the Chancellor's Batleth off to Lorel, picking up the torch for her instead. At the final party, they talk about working closer with the Alliance of 2411, not a promise we'd expect from the Klingons of 2255. Their mood is optimistic, but we've seen how easily the Empire shatters under the strain of remaining Klingon. And it's hard to shake the feeling that we'll be back here, knives in hand, all too soon. All right, so last week we talked about the first episode of this two-episode finale. Roscoe, I presume you finally had the opportunity of playing at least the first mission? I have played both the first and second mission. Okay, so first mission, as we go through and set up our allies to take on Jim Pock and the final assault, we we re- revisit some familiar faces in the mycelial network. We uh, meet some new faces in some new Klingon allies of familiar house names. Uh, I thought that the combat was fine. I enjoyed it to the point at which I uh, also understand that this is a way for the game to beef out its current patrol offering as well. So all of these sections of the missions were also patrols. I understand as well that it makes sense to reuse the mycelial network sets, as it were, to take us on that journey. Uh, The combat was good. It was all very straightforward and I I got through it quite nicely. And then we lead on to the big finale and take on Gowron. I mean Akar and fight him with his lightsaber. I mean his his bat left. Nanopulse. Nanopulse. <laughs> Before we jump into the second mission, Kat, what did you think of that first one? We didn't have a chance the to... first one, it was a lot of space battle that I felt like could have not been as long, but I did, I enjoyed the episode and I always love seeing Martok and Laurel. I'm like, I um, took some sprint screenshots of me hanging with Laurel. So, I mean, I really liked the first uh, episode, but I really enjoyed the second one, I think, of the two. All right, so tell us about the second one for you, Kat. It's not just, you know, space battle. I do enjoy, like, when they're introducing new content, when you're on the ground and you can see your character and you can see the cuts, cutscenes, and they, you can see all the effort that the team puts into the missions. It's really amazing work that they're doing. And I, the second episode was, you know, because it's the big finale, you get satisfaction, there's an ending, and 
it's not a to be continued. You find out what happens, and uh, you get to talk to Adetpa and Laurel. You know, it's I I loved it. I thought it was great. So the second episode for me, I enjoyed much more than the first, right? The second episode was not nearly as repetitive as that first mission. And to your point, Roscoe, yeah, they were building patrols. I don't think that these missions that string along patrols should be considered featured episodes. I think it kind of goes against that quality over quantity mantra that they keep repeating. Maybe one or two, maybe finding a way to weave in some of these patrols in a shorter version, but to have a player go through five patrols, essentially, four or five patrols, to move a mission along or to move a a story arc along uh, feels... I feel a little cheated by that. Uh, the second mission, however, developed its finally, you know, its its characters. It, it, you know, it brought everything to an end. You know, it put a nice button on things. Uh, again, the animation, the cinematography for the for the animations on the cutscenes were amazing. Uh, there were nice touches, like like when Jaula was pacing back and forth on the bridge as she was delivering and talking to everybody. That was a nice touch. It was interesting to see them use this mechanic of, you know, going to scan not Gauron as he transported out. Uh, Interesting use of some environment critters, like having to shoot down the shields. You know, interesting again. But overall, I think I think that Hippie John on Twitter kind of put this put this well. I hope that future missions don't remove us from the narrative as much as this Klingon story arc did, right? This story was not about us or what we were doing to help solve this crisis. We as the player were in the back seat in terms of the narrative. We were along for the ride. And I don't know that that makes for great gameplay. Maybe one or two missions, sure. Like for instance, playing as Jaula was also an interesting kind of view. But yeah, I didn't feel like I was, I didn't feel like I was doing anything. I was just there to be along for the ride. Whereas during the Iconian arc, right, I felt like I was making an impact on what was happening, right? My choices made an impact. So I hope that moving forward, for me, this was not my kind of storyline. And I hope that moving forward, they don't do this again. Yeah, I agree with your point there. Like you definitely feel removed because, you know, you can play these missions with any character Whereas, you know, it doesn't matter really if you're Klingon or Federation or whatever, you're just hanging out, like, you know, helping, helping, but you're not really, yeah, making a huge difference like you did in the Iconian arc. So yeah, I agree with that. But I mean, it's still really cool to hang out with Laurel. My couple of takeaways were, I agree with you in terms of the shoehorning patrols together. Mm. I have no, mm. I don't have a problem with patrols. I really like them if I need to get some uh, XP if I need to get some uh, get my starship traits knocked over then that's a good way Mm. to do it I also didn't have a problem when in the discovery arc we had about four or five patrols as individual missions they weren't chained together they were there as individual missions I thought that was absolutely fine as well that worked for me no problem but the shoehorning together of two or three patrols to make a feature mission I'm not a huge fan of that I, I can see what they were doing in terms of beefing it out but yeah it kind of left me wanting a little bit the other issue that I have is that I really don't like Jaula. Like, I now we're supposed to see her as an ally. It's like you blew up a starbase, um, yeah. and now we're friends. Uh, okay, cool. Um, no, no, thank you. No, I'm okay. So yeah, I, I find that interesting. I feel like she maybe hasn't done in terms of just character. There hasn't been enough 
redemption for me to want to bring her on side, for me to be okay with fighting missions with her and having her as an ally just That's yet. Point. I forgot all yeah. about that. She killed my yeah, captain. Maybe. She killed my discovery captain and then she said, I'm really sorry about that. He seemed like a good guy. Like, you knew him for five minutes, all right? Come on. Yeah, maybe they could have done another mission where you are Jaula, maybe some backstory or, you know, like, more about her so you connect with her and it's not just all of a sudden she's oh, we're friends now. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the drama that happened last week, uh, the Grand Nagus, who's uh, you know, pretty prominent in the community, longtime community member, he you know, he hangs around on the forums and, and on Reddit uh, and Twitter, you know, had made some suggestions in his reply to the developers and the imbalance between items for sale and content, right? And one of the things that he mentioned was, well, let's reuse environments, right? Let's, let's, why not? Why not reuse environments? Environments that folks like Nick Duguid create are beautiful and wonderful. I mean, they're just stunning. And mm-hmm. if you harken back to canon, you know, how many times did they reuse a set or redress a set or, you know, just do a minor change to something, right? It's not going to, mm-hmm. it wouldn't necessarily break. But if you're going to do that, then it's important that in creating the mission, the content designers get creative and innovative. And I feel like that lacked a little bit, especially in the, the, those patrols, that first group. I just want, you know, if we're going to have these massive gaps, these these month, these four or five month gaps between a featured episode, then and we're only going to get one drop, one or two after five months, then I feel like, you know, even if we do reuse a map, then all right, let's let's figure out a way to to get the player to think creatively and engage with them in whatever tasks we need to have them do. And I just don't feel like we we got that in these episodes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I love the mycelial realm and going, and I love the animation when you go from one platform to another. I love it. Uh, I'm really glad they reused that. But yeah, I mean, it's the same path that you took the the last time. Right, right, right. So, Mm -hmm. you know. But reverse. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Maybe we could have done something else, not corrupted Ilachi that we already had. Dave Collins in, in the chat makes a very good point and says the first scene in the first episode he was ex- so excited when Martok needed our help to decide whose plan to use he thought it was going to be an actual choice but then the choice was scripted and I had a very similar moment where I thought oh which way are we going to go we have the control yeah. here in the direction of the mission and yeah for a moment I thought this is great this is a new element choose your own adventure style game element to Star Trek on online but it was scripted so i hope that's something that cryptic can take away from this the excitement at the possibility of something like that and how that could potentially form a future part of the game because if players are excited at the prospect of that then maybe that's something they would consider putting in in a future episode or two well they kind of did in measure of morality i Mm -hmm. mean a little bit you know so you could tell that was really thought out that would have been kind of cool just to have some variation you know oh if you pick this it does something just a little different it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be like a whole other thing it just something but yeah i mean maybe it's also trying to come to terms with all the new track that's out there and and maybe finally they will realize hey we don't need to rely you know we don't we should just continue doing our own thing and not try and man i hope so from your make it fit from your mouth to the great bird of the galaxy's ears (laughs) i'm curious what you both thought what you enjoyed about these latest episodes these the the two that just came out Mm -hmm. uh 
Um, I mean, other than seeing the characters that we love, Martok and Laurel and Adepa and, you know, those guys and not Gowron. <laughs> I actually like that guy, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, not a lot sticks out. I mean, the enemies weren't unique or new or you know, it's just Klingons and and Ilachi. Flaming Targs. Which is a weird, which is a weird mix. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind Targs with lasers. I mean, that's cool, but yeah, I, for me, same thing. I think that what saved these two missions were the dialogue and more specifically the performers. I almost mm-hmm. felt like JG Hertzler knew that Robert O'Reilly was also contributing and that he felt the need to up his own game as a Klingon. Like I kind of got that sense. Like he was like, I wonder if I can out Gaurav. Gauron, you know, like it was, it was, it was great. It was fantastic. But yeah, I, you know, honestly, other than, other than the excellent performances and great dialogue that went with it, you know, as a gamer, as somebody who is not just in it for Star Trek, but also to, you know, experience gaming. Um, again, I, 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 it wasn't, nothing felt innovative, you know, other than following not Gauron as he transported and, and the use of the wall targeting critters like that was that was about it yeah i mean there wasn't any new mechanics like even that one with the mycelial wave coming at you that was you know stress inducing and new and you're like oh i gotta get out of here and save these people oh my god you know (laughs) that one you actually was like it was new and different we never had to do that before but this one had a bunch of the same i did find myself with that mycelial wave just running past the occasional person going it's too late i'm sorry i'm sorry i have to leave you i have to run (laughs) I've got to go. I did that too. I'm going to disintegrate. Is this an older mission or is this the new TFO? Yeah, the one like Uh, two episodes before that one. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. I have not played the new TFO yet because last I went to check, it was incredibly buggy. Like, incredible. Like people just were were unable to complete it. Have they? Does anybody know if they have since fixed that? I have not played the new TFO for that reason. I I don't know if it's been fixed, but I've been having this issue when I log into the game where it won't log in, and then I have to task manager and then end game uh-huh. client and then re-log in. It, to get it to launch the first time, which is weird. Um, so I don't know if anyone else is having that, but I heard Nikki said she had that happen and a few other people said that too. So I don't know if that's just a new feature <laughs> of the game Yeah, I'm gonna, uh, or what. <laughs> I think Corsair in the chat is replying to me that they did in fact fix that TFO. If that's the case, then we'll go ahead and save that review for next week on the new TFO. Yeah, I'm gonna try and play it this weekend because now that I've played the missions, I can play the TFO. And the patrols, apparently, now that I know that they're just the mission broken up into patrols. I have played it a couple of times. Unfortunate. And I can tell you, very initial thoughts is that the some of the mechanics are a challenge, and I think once they worked out work out the bugs, it will be a lot better. And if they have done that already, fantastic. And how about some Armada news in Star Trek Online? Yay! It it's so exciting because it's the Armada's eighth anniversary. So during this month of June, we're giving away Uh, all kinds of prizes we're doing daily prizes so if you're an armada member all you have to do is be logged in and you are already gonna have a chance to win some cool prizes Uh, but every saturday of this month we're doing some really cool events this saturday is uh the where's winters event so winters will give out clues to his location and if you can find him in the game you can probably earn a prize and there's some really cool prizes we're i think for 
for the whole month, there's a total or more than five billion in EC and prizes being given away, including several T6 ships. Wow. Some keys. I mean, we've got like a gift certificate to our Armada merch store, all kinds of cool stuff. So we're really excited. It's the eighth year of the Armada. So thank you to everyone who's a member. Uh, if you're interested in joining the Armada, go to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up. And now moving on to some other gaming news. Website PocketGamer.biz has run a short article in an ongoing series that examines market trends in mobile gaming. While the article is a sponsored piece by analytics platform App Annie, it nevertheless shares some interesting metrics that would impress even the Ferengi Commerce Authority. According to the article, the quote, city battle strategy, end quote, mobile gaming sector has raked in two point $5 billion in worldwide consumer spending in the first quarter of 2021. That represents a 60% growth over last year's first quarter. If you're talking about the US market alone, the growth was 90% over 2020's first quarter. App Annie's metrics in the article have listed out the top 10 properties in the category, and Star Trek Fleet Command is sitting pretty in the top spot. So there's no denying that Fleet Command is raking in more gold-pressed latinum than Quark's shady schemes ever dreamed of. Well, that's really interesting. I had no idea that game was that popular. Nor did I. No, absolutely well amazing. Done. Well done, and Fleet Command. Of course, first quarter in 2020 was leading into the pandemic, whereas first quarter 2021 is still very much in the middle of, hopefully towards the end, maybe, of the pandemic. So that type of growth, whether it's worldwide or in the US, is absolutely phenomenal, but also kind of makes sense. What do you guys think? How much money are we spending each month on gaming? I mean, Come on, let's be actually, honest. I mean, but phone games, though, I mean, you'd think during, well, maybe people are on their phone more. I would have thought, like, people would be playing more PC games, like, mm -hmm. or more console games because you're sitting at home and maybe not on your phone as much. But I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, by the looks of this, it looks like people are on their phone at home. <laughs> so. It could entirely be an accessibility thing in that not everyone has a gaming PC, not everyone has a gaming console. So the phone or the tablet is a more common piece of technology. So mm. that's why these types of games do so well because that's what people have on hand. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, that's the news from Star Trek Games this week. Now, let's look on screen with Dr. Michael Chan. On screen. If you're a TNG fan, I bet you'll recognize this scene from Season 6, Chain of Command. You can live out your life in misery, held here, subject to my whims. Or you can live in comfort with good food and warm clothing, women as you desire them, allowed to pursue your studies of philosophy and history. I would enjoy debating with you. You have a keen mind. It's up to you. A life of ease, of reflection and intellectual challenge. Or this. What must I do? Nothing, really. Tell me how many lights you see. That was the unmistakable voice of David Warner complimenting an unforgettable performance from Patrick Stewart. And this is The Looking Glass, 
an audio documentary series that explores the subtle but profound ways that Star Trek reinterprets and reimagines literature, art, and events from our own time. When Gol Madred floods Picard's worn face with four lights, he's making a clear reference to a very similar scene in George Orwell's famous dystopian novel, 1984. Orwell's novel features a protagonist, Winston Smith, who lives in a totalitarian surveillance state called Oceania. The all-seeing eyes of the government are embodied by the slogan, Big Brother is Watching You. Like a 1940s Neo, Winston intuits and later discovers that his entire society is based on lies and is maliciously organized in service of the all-powerful party. As part of his resistance toward Big Brother, Winston also carries on a secret love affair with a fellow dissenter, Julia. Needless to say, the couple eventually gets caught and dragged off to the ironically named Ministry of Love. There Winston is tortured relentlessly under the cruel hand of party member O'Brien. At one point, O'Brien uses a brutal device in an effort to convince Winston that the four fingers he is holding up are actually five in number. The connections between 1984 and Chain of Command, however, go far beyond the Four Lights reference. The episode reinterprets the novel with particular attention to the intimately savage relationship between Gull Madred and Captain Picard. The Four Lights are merely the tip of a deeply submerged literary iceberg. Like Winston's torturer O'Brien, Gol Madred is Janice-faced, sometimes appearing as a benevolent host, and other times as a shockingly cruel interrogator. And just as O'Brien uses Julia, Winston's lover, to manipulate him, Gol Madred does not hesitate to manipulate Picard by lying about Crusher's welfare. At one point, Picard is offered an opportunity to leave, but as he struggles to the open door, Gol Madred says, we will get what we need from the human female. It's a critical moment because in 1984, Winston eventually abandons Julia to torture, asking that she suffer the cruelty instead of him. Not with Picard, he chooses to stay in order to spare Crusher from suffering. But although Winston and Picard find themselves on similar paths, they ultimately end up at very different places. In 1984, Winston succumbs to the torture. O'Brien's success is tragically memorialized in the last line of the book when Winston gazes at a piece of propaganda and says that he loved Big Brother. Picard's will, however, never breaks. But just because Picard didn't break, doesn't mean that he is unchanged. The episode writers leave us with one final surprise, a bit of easily overlooked character development. After relieving Captain Jellicoe, cue collective sigh of relief, Picard immediately meets with Counselor Troy and begins to open up about his experiences. No resistance, no pride, no stubbornness. He just starts talking. For a man who has so often carried his suffering in silence and privacy, it's striking in this final scene to see him openly share his burdens without hesitation. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other.
Well, that wraps up episode 511 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. And here's a reminder of our community question this week. Which deep cut character would you like to see in the next season of Lower Decks? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, Gray, and me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. During these difficult times, we are humbled by the continued support of our patrons who find value in the content we produce each and every week. For more information about how you can support the show, visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Daniel, Rand, Alex, and Lennon. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Alejandro, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. Uh, sorry, I'm just laughing at the idea of Bill Shatner getting punched in the face. I shouldn't. I really shouldn't. <laughs> the day of judgment dawns as four world would be. <laughs> Jim Pox dash for the throne turns his serv- servitor. <laughs> Thomas with his big words. <laughs>
Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Daniel, Rand, Alex, and not Lennon. Ha, <laughs> Lennon's in the chat. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.